What's going on, family? Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you had an amazing weekend and the start of the month of August is fantastic for you. Yes, it's a brand new day, it's a brand new week, and it's the start of a brand new month. So, with all of that said, I definitely hope that this month is the kind of month you've always been wanting. Now, it is summertime, so there are all sorts of things that could happen here in August. And traditionally, August is the month for SummerSlam. However, this year, SummerSlam came to us a bit early, and a lot of that has to do with the big card coming up over in the UK, Clash at the Castle, which is happening Labor Day weekend. So we're going to get into SummerSlam. We're going to get into Ric Flair's last match and the like. But first, as always, thank you so much for your continued support of all things connected to the faction. That means the absolute world to us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for following us on the socials. Thank you for interacting with us. All of those things make a world of difference. If you are doing any of them, this thank you is for you. If you are brand new and you've not done any of those, welcome aboard and feel free to do any or all of the above ways to stay connected to us, including subscribing to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, including following us on the socials at The Faction Show and staying connected to all of the cool things that we are doing. You can also rate the podcast and leave a comment for us wherever you're listening to us. Those kinds of things make a massive difference. Now then, there's a lot to get into happening from this weekend. Certainly one of the biggest weekends of the year. Easily so far the biggest weekend in terms of in-ring content that we've seen all summer long. I think it's safe to say that the biggest weekend of the year wasn't even WrestleMania. It was the news around Vince McMahon. And so as we get to the now first pay-per-view without Vince McMahon's fingerprint or presence, the question is, what would SummerSlam do? Now, looking at this card on paper and the buildup to it wasn't exactly spectacular. But as history has shown us recently in WWE, it's those cards where there isn't a great buildup and it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on. Those are the ones that end up surprising us and delivering in a big way. And boy, did SummerSlam do that. So let's go through the results and then we'll talk about what we thought about SummerSlam. So SummerSlam, oddly enough only had eight matches this year, which is kind of light compared to previous years. However, and comma, they all delivered. It kicked off with the Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair, retaining against Becky Lynch at the same event where last year Bianca would lose in 26 seconds. Logan Paul defeated The Miz. Bobby Lashley retained the U.S. Championship against Theory. The Mysterios defeated Finn Balor and Damian Priest of the Judgment Day. Pat McAfee defeated Happy Corbin. The Usos defeated the Street Profits to retain the Tag Team Championships. Liv Morgan defeated Ronda Rousey, and we'll talk about that, to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. And Roman Reigns defeated Brock Lesnar in an unbelievable undisputed title match that was a last man standing match. So let's just talk about some of the moments that really mattered coming out of this. It started with the start of the pay-per-view the Raw Women's title match. And I know there are those who feel like, holy cow, that match should have been last. But you know what I'm starting to understand? And I've been understanding this for a little while. Perhaps the two most coveted positions on a show is the opening 
and the closing. It used to be a case where the opening of the show was really kind of for those who, you know, couldn't really cut it, you know, that type of thing. And it was designed to be kind of that slow burn up to your main event. However, we now have pre-shows for that. So you can take those matches and get them out of the way so that when the pay-per-view starts, we start with a bang or a banger and we just kind of keep on moving the train from there. Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, what a match to start. What chemistry between these two. And let me just say this now. I hope we are appreciating the maturation of Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair has really come a long, long way in a short, short time. She is an unquestionable superstar. She is someone who we'll be talking about for years. She is doing something that really hasn't been done as a woman, as an African-American woman, really leading this division. And it's far different than what Miss Jackie did. It's far different than what Jazz did. This is special because both Jackie and Jazz were villains. But to now have an African-American woman leading the division, it's different than even what Naomi did. Because as fun-loving as Naomi was, we didn't see Naomi in a lot of mainstream spaces. Naomi is great. But Bianca has a different thing on her, and Bianca is really using that to her advantage, and it's really rising the level of her stardom. Speaking of stardom, it's not just what happened in this match that made headlines, but what happened after the match. First, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair end up shaking hands and embracing at the end of the match, which made sense. It was a generous move, and yeah, we were good with that until the music played that told us it was the return of Bailey. And so we started actually feeling like, oh boy, could this happen again? Because it was a surprise return last year from Becky Lynch that would ultimately cost Bianca Belair the title. Would history repeat itself? Well, not exactly, as then more music hit. It is the music of Dakota Kai. And we're like, holy cow. And then we get the music of Eo Shirai, now known as Eo Sky. So I want to help some folks because there were some, and I may as well just name them, one Brandon Clack, who, by the way, if you enjoyed our last show together, which we just dropped on Friday, wait till you hear the next one we do. If you missed it, the show we released on Friday is a conversation about the controversial legacy of Vince McMahon all the guys are back it's an amazing moment I'm telling you if you've missed that energy you've got to go and check out that show in fact I give you permission to pause this one to go listen to that one all right and thank you for coming back so this is a special thing that we have happening here Dakota Kai and Eo Sky aka Eo Shirai so Eo Shirai a long time NXT women's champion, not just known for her work in NXT, but known for her work in Japan, known for her work in Lucha. She has been all over the world, one of the most respected female talents on the planet. And it was rumored that she was not going to resign with WWE. She had been out on injury and that she would, in fact, make her way back to Japan incredibly respected superstar who gets it done in the ring and so to see her in the women's division on Monday Night Raw is exceptional and then there's Dakota Kai Dakota Kai Steady Eddie who is one half 
of the inaugural NXT Women's Tag Team Champions had done it all and perhaps the greatest women superstar in NXT history to have not held the women's championship. So with that said, it's really intriguing that she was part of the layoffs that happened earlier this year. So we didn't know where Dakota Kai would lie and we thought we'd see her on the indies, etc., etc. She has returned. And to this, I refer to Triple H. Many of you call him the game. I call him the great mediator because he is the guy who gets it done and gets it done in a significant way. So I'm excited about the return of Dakota Kai and EO Sarai, now known as EO Sky. Partnering with Bailey is special because if you think about it, Bailey, who certainly was the leading figure on the women's side prior to her injury, Bailey now gets the opportunity to I guess be a part of a faction or lead a faction and I say I guess because we don't know if they are a full faction or not hopefully we'll find out but with all of that said this is such a great look and then on top of that for Becky to now stand side by side with Bianca everybody's asking who's going to be the third woman to team with them and there are amazing possibilities out there Asuka's name is being thrown around and that would be pretty exciting to see should Charlotte Flair return to be a part of this? Though I think it's been safe to say Charlotte Flair doesn't play well with others. And she has beef certainly with Becky that, yeah, I don't think they'd be playing well together. I don't know who else could join, but what I will say is an immediate shot in the arm for the women's division on Monday Night Raw, which is so supremely needed. And it's proof that Triple H is at it again. Amazing moments and that's one of the things that made this SummerSlam so special there was this mixture of great matches and amazing moments that honestly made this pay-per-view feel like an NXT takeover more than it did a traditional WWE premium live event and so with that said that excites me for the future of these major events for WWE so I'll talk about a few other highlights because I don't want to get too far in the weeds with this Logan Paul had a very impressive debut against The Miz I'm impressed with what I see and it certainly looks like Logan Paul could be a champion in WWE at some point The Miz certainly laid the groundwork for anyone transitioning from reality TV into WWE I think The Miz really is one of one and I think it's about time that we start talking about him from a Hall of Fame perspective, because he's absolutely going to be in the Hall of Fame, and rightfully so. What an interesting night it was for Theory, where it looked like Theory, in his own mind, wanted to be both the U.S. champion and the WWE Universal champion. He would leave with neither. And so I think it's very interesting to see how Theory's being treated. I'm not mad at it at all. I think it makes sense, and it's the proper adjustment that's needed. And we didn't want Theory to ruin the title match anyway. So Bobby Lashley continues as U.S. champion, continues an amazing wave of popularity as well. We got the return of Edge, which I wish had not been ruined by what they said in the pre-show where they showed that he'd be returning on the evening of SummerSlam. Solid tag match. It's still weird seeing the Judgment Day without Edge because it feels like they are without a leader. They are without direction. And if we're honest, they've not achieved the same level of success that they had with Edge 
by their side. Now, the next question is, who will Edge partner with to take on the Judgment Day? Don't know. It's not going to be the Mysterios, though, because that just didn't work. Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin is a story that told themselves, and I love that we finally got some history on this to really get an understanding that this goes deep and wide. This is a longstanding rivalry that had an opportunity to come to a head. And as I mentioned that, let me just say this. Michael Cole was in his commentary bag on Saturday night. Do you hear me? I don't think we give Cole enough credit. Cole obviously has been revitalized since the signing of Pat McAfee, which I think has been absolutely amazing. But let me just tell you what he has been able to do and what he did this past Saturday night from a commentary perspective was amazing. It was little things. There was a freedom that was there. There was an honesty that was there. There was an excitement that was there. That was absolutely special. When they say you can't get your second wind after 25 years, Somebody told you wrong because they haven't met Michael Cole. I continue to be impressed with what he is doing, giving us some of the best commentary of his career at this point. So shout out to him. Another great match between the Usos and the Street Profits. And the real question now is, where do we go from here, Street Profits? What can the Street Profits do at this point? If you cannot grab the brass ring and defeat the Usos, is this the beginning of the end of the tandem of the Street Profits? That's the question, and I think time will certainly tell, and I'm looking forward to seeing the answer to that, but the dejected look on the face of Montez Ford could really be telling. Arguably the most controversial match of the night was Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey. There are those who did not like the finish. There are those who did not like the kind of match that it was. I will say this. I think the biggest mistake is that the match even happened this soon. Liv Morgan needs more title defenses to be able to be viewed as a credible opponent for Ronda Rousey. Nobody thought Liv Morgan would win that match. And the way she won in tapping out while pinning Ronda is really indicative of where we all think Liv Morgan is at this point. I think Liv Morgan needs more title matches and more opportunities to build up her cachet so that we're not just looking at her as the feel-good story, but now we're looking at somebody who has grown into the championship. So we take a look at Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey, whether you think she's entertaining or not, is clearly at the top of the food chain when it comes to very difficult women to defeat her MMA background her Olympic experience I mean like it's all a thing so if Liv Morgan was to be treated or to be viewed in a way that she could actually compete with Ronda Rousey Liv Morgan would need to seemingly do some work we need to see some training videos we need to see her face some tougher opponents I mean we believe that Natalia could beat Ronda Rousey or at least have a fighting chance because she trained Rousey and then she started sitting into submission she started becoming more aggressive you need that edge and right now Liv doesn't have that edge and to be fair to Liv Four weeks was not enough time for her to get the edge that she needed coming off the heels of her surprise championship victory. So I think they're going to have to find a more effective way to tell this story. Ronda snapping at the end makes sense. It makes sense for a heel term, but they're going to have to figure out how on earth 
to be able to create a tougher exterior for Liv Morgan to be able to be deemed credible to take on Ronda Rousey. That leads us to our main event. Now, here's what's amazing about this main event. We've seen Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar probably more than we'd care to admit over the last decade. And after WrestleMania, we thought that that was it. Brock loses, goes off into the sunset. We had not heard from him again. And then he mysteriously reappears. And we all go, oh, wow. And so Roman versus Brock, last man standing, last time ever. Well, it got interesting from the start. As Brock Lesnar, during his entrance, decides to bring a tractor to the ring. And then there were just so many unique nuances that made this matchup so special. It was a dominating, physical, chaotic match. And at one point, it just got so chaotic, you didn't know what was going to happen. And then when Brock literally takes the tractor and lifts the ring... Unbelievable. And I will say this, when I saw it, I knew we're going to be seeing this in the history books forever and ever. Just like another amazing moment when Brock Lesnar gave a superplex to the big show that imploded the ring on SmackDown several years ago. Another iconic moment. So Lesnar's giving us iconic moments. I think Lesnar had a lot of fun in that match. Roman ends up winning the match, retaining the championship. But it left us all speechless. And so SummerSlam, absolutely incredible. What a pay-per-view event slash premium live event. When we come back, we'll talk about the next big event of the weekend, which followed that. That is the pay-per-view known as Ric Flair's last match. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown, and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were going to start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content, but that I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were going to be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm going to do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. How about that? The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here for a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year is going to be mine, COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. 
so many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there is a them and there is a you, there will always be a S-H-W. Attention wrestling fans, join us for SHW's 4th Annual Rumble Jack. Coming to you Friday, August 5th, live from the Action Building in Canton, Georgia. All-Star Special will defend their SHW Tag Team titles against Happy Madness. Then, it's every man for himself to see who will be the last standing in the Rumble Jack match as we determine a new number one contender for the Southern Honor Championship. Door the night of the show starting at 5 p.m. Doors open at 7, bell time at 8. Invite your friends and let's pack the action building for one of our biggest nights of the year. Trust us, you don't want to miss this show. SHW, an experience like no other. All right, folks, so Ric Flair, the nature boy, the 16-time world champion, the two-time Hall of Famer who had his original retirement match at WrestleMania 24 back in 2008, seemingly wasn't satisfied with that, wasn't ready to retire, and so now at age 73, some 14 years later, Now, apparently, he's ready to retire, and so an entire pay-per-view was created around this concept that was called Ric Flair's Last Match. So, I'm just going to tell you from the jump, I have mixed feelings about this from a lot of perspectives. On one hand, there apparently was not a more creative name that they could have come up with for this pay-per-view other than Ric Flair's Last Match. I don't know, we could have called it a flair for the gold, the last hurrah, the final chapter, but Ric Flair's last match just seems so generic. Now, let me sandwich this because the things that I like, the return of Jim Crockett promotions, that's major. The return of the original set for World Championship Wrestling. The return of Tony Schiavone and David Crockett on commentary. Like, those are all major things. And they are nostalgic moments for those who lived through them in the 80s and early 90s. That was the heyday of Ric Flair when Flair became the nature boy as we now know him. Longtime world champion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This was originally supposed to happen at the Nashville Fairgrounds. If you've ever been to the Nashville Fairgrounds, which has played host to several major events from the NWA and Impact Wrestling, it is a significantly smaller venue. Well, clearly ticket sales blew that out of the water where they needed to move it to the much larger Nashville Municipal Auditorium. The Nashville Municipal Auditorium held a lot of history for Ric Flair. Particularly, you can go back to 1989, the classic match between Flair and Ricky Steamboat, where Flair regains the NWA World Championship. So, history in itself is significant with this. Now, let me just start by saying this. Perhaps the real win in all of this is the undercard. 
The undercard was super, super strong, and I think it was enough to grab tons of people to get them to watch. Now, what's also significant about it, it's one of the few times where we actually get to see multiple promotions working together. So represented were MLW, Impact, AAA, the NWA, New Japan Pro Wrestling, all of them were involved and will even make the argument about WWE being involved in the main event. A lot of historic moments and what's even more historic, I think, are some of the names that either were in attendance or sent in videos from Dolph Ziggler to Shawn Michaels. We also heard from Sting, Cody Rhodes in attendance live was DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, Mick Foley, The Undertaker, which the significance of The Undertaker being on camera at a non-WWE event is something that is not lost on me. It is also very clear that there was definitely permission given from the WWE for several folks to be involved, including Jerry the King Lawler, who was involved on camera talking to Jeff Jarrett. And also speaking of Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett being a senior vice president at WWE involved in the main event. And the main event featured Ric Flair and his son-in-law Andrade El Idolo taking on Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. So before we get there, quickly we'll talk about some of the matches. All of the matches, I thought, were really, really sound. It was great to hear the mixture of commentary as we heard commentary from Ian Riccoboni. We heard commentary from some of the folks from AAA and MLW. And even Scott Demore represented Impact, as did Tom Hannafin. The idea of him and Tony Schiavone working together for the first time was pretty impressive. I've got to say that. So I won't go through all of the results, though I could. I think everybody's interested in the main event. And so let me just say, oh, 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 there are two things I need to say. First and foremost, Jonathan Gresham was back in a wrestling ring for the first time since Death Before Dishonor. Now, why that's important is that it's been a long seven to 10 days because following Death Before Dishonor, where he lost the Ring of Honor World Championship, he had requested for his release from AEW and ROH. He then went on to delete his Twitter account and the Twitter account for the promotion that he created called Terminus. So while we don't know the future of Terminus and we were not sure of the future of Jonathan Gresham, it also got interesting because Battle Slam ended up moving and Gresham is no longer on the Battle Slam card. So many thought this could signal the end of the road for Jonathan Gresham in pro wrestling, as that was the word on the street. So it was pretty exciting to see Gresham actually show up and win the Four Corners match against Nick Wayne, Allen Angels, and Konosuke Takeshita. Very interesting, and perhaps this means that Gresham is full-on back in the world of pro wrestling. I hope that that is the case. Some great matches, again, the Von Eriks and the Briscoes, an amazing match there, the Motor City Machine Guns and the Wolves. Uh, just some really, really good, good moments. And a first time ever, Josh Alexander, the Impact World Champion, against Jacob Fatu, the longest reigning MLW World Champion for the Impact World title, end up being disrupted by Matt Cardona and his crew, which would then turn into a diamond cutter from Diamond Dallas Page. All cool moments. With all of that said, Ric Flair's last match, Andrade, Flair, Lethal, 
Jeff Jarrett. Um, I'll say this. So much of a big deal was made about Ric Flair, his training for this. He's 73 years old. He came out to the ring in a custom Ric Flair classic robe. But then when he turned around, he had a purple T-shirt on. For me, that immediate, it just put a big pop in the balloon for me. Like, wow, all the training videos and montages and you're, you're flexing and showing how good your arms look. Man, the last time we saw Flair wrestle in a t-shirt, it was the final match of Monday Night Nitro. And, ugh, yeah. Flair, I'm just gonna say this. Ric Flair looked and moved every bit of 73 years in that ring. And it was really sad, honestly. It was very sad, and I was very concerned. There were points where he wasn't moving, where I thought, you know, something had seriously happened to him. After the match, he said he hoped he entertained people because he couldn't remember half the match. There were moments where he could barely stand up. This was just not a good look for Ric Flair. And I would hate for that to be the final memory we get of him in the ring, though I don't want him anywhere close to a wrestling ring, honestly, ever again. Because this, this was a lot. This was a lot. I didn't like it. I'm not happy about it. I really wish Flair could have been satisfied with the great send-off that he received from Vince McMahon in the WWE in 2008 that I felt was far more representative of his career. But Flair said he enjoyed it. And honestly, hey, if it felt like the NWA to him and it felt like Jim Crockett promotions and that's what meant the world to him, so be it. It kind of proves the point that you can want something more for someone than they want it for themselves. And I think we wanted this grandiose send-off for Ric Flair, and WrestleMania was the perfect place for it. But Flair never really believed he was a WWE guy, and so he wanted to do it in the NWA way, and he did. So with that said, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on both SummerSlam and Ric Flair's last match. You can hit us up at The Faction Show and let us know. All right, guys, until next time, representing from my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I my people, here we go.